Why do I need Christmas? This is that last message of that series. And uh, I thought that would be good to end today rather than saying, why do I need Christmas next week? Because we might not already be thinking about Christmas. But hopefully we're still thinking about the meaning of Christmas and the reason of Christmas. And so Matthew's gospel tells us that Jesus' mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. And, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. When Joseph discovered this, he chose to quietly end their engagement. Okay, hey, you know, he had the right to have her killed. But he said, I'm just going to quietly end this. But why? Why does he keep it quiet? You know, after all, kind of his reputation might have been at stake. I mean, I'm betrothed to be married to this, to this woman, and, and we're going to get married. And, but now she's pregnant. Hmm. Well, what I'm pregnant of, of the Holy Ghost. Well, again, I make just sometimes... I've heard that, you know, maybe used a time or two in this day and age, but that doesn't, that doesn't happen. That's not the case. So he may have just wanted to minimize the harm for her and the shame that she might experience with her family. But let's be honest. He might have also thought she was crazy. Let's just really, really think through this, okay? She believed she was pregnant by a Holy Spirit. Okay. Um, okay, Mary. Yeah, yeah. Okay. He might have thinks that she, she was unstable. Something was going on. We don't know. He may have decided it would be cruel to take vengeance on someone with mental health issues. We, we just, we don't know what he was thinking. And today on this last segment of this, this series, I want to look at just this topic, freedom, freedom. Why do I need Christmas? That third reason, freedom, freedom. Lord, we love you, and we're thankful that everybody has made it a choice, made a choice to gather here today, and there are people, no doubt, tuning in online, so many people traveling at this moment, Lord, seeing family and friends, and just keep your hand of protection upon so many of the members of this church that are in so many locations. Let them have a wonderful, wonderful, blessed week with their, with their family and loved ones and relatives. And Lord, people who are maybe not having a wonderful week that maybe have lost friends and family and neighbors and coworkers and, and whoever is close to them, Lord, be with them, Lord. Just let them feel your peace, Lord, and strength, God. I pray during this season, and Lord Jesus, help us as the church to be aware of people who might be hurting and in need. But God, I pray as we look into your word today in the last part of this series, that you would speak through me. Let our hearts and minds be open in Jesus' name. Amen. So something extraordinary happened for Joseph. Uh, and I think the Lord knew he needed something extraordinary to happen. Because again, you put yourself in this spot. The woman you're getting ready to marry says, I'm pregnant, but nobody's been with me. It's the Holy Spirit. You, again, would be going, there'd be, a, you'd have a lot of, I would have a lot of questions. And maybe even need a lot of evidence here somehow. But Matthew 1.20 says, while he thought on these things, <laughs> you better believe it. Behold, the angel of the Lord appears unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not. To take thee, marry thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, 
for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord, by the prophet, saying, which prophet was that? Isaiah. And if you've missed the Wednesday night Isaiah series, you need to tune in to what you miss because it has been a pow- filled with powerful truths from the word of God. And it says, behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. The Hebrew word for virgin used in the Old Testament in the prophecy quoted there, it, it also means maiden or young girl. So no one, in fact, for in the first century expected the Messiah to be born of an actual virgin. For Matthew to have manufactured that detail into the storyline that would have been worthless. It actually probably would have gone against his cause. And that's why people today say, well, yeah, you don't actually believe that. You know, people want to question every detail of the Bible now. And so they're sitting there and they're saying, hey, is, is, is that something that, is, is, you know, it was a maiden, a virgin? It, I, don't, I think that might be the organ. Something's giving me a deep hum. Maybe it's just up here. It just started. I don't know. Sounds like maybe the organ might be running or something. But anyway, so uh, people might want to say, yeah, hey, that's, that's, a, that's a young girl, a maiden. That's not really an actual virgin. Well, obviously, when Matthew wrote this down, he connected it and said, this is the fulfillment of that Isaiah prophecy. And so nobody, no one rallied around a virgin birth. Early Christians rallied around the, re- that was, there, it went away, perfect. Whatever you did, wonderful. <laughs> the early early Christians rallied around the resurrection, but they didn't rally around a virgin birth. Yet Matthew tells us that an angel appeared to Mary and to Joseph in dreams and told them their son was special. The Holy Spirit had conceived him. And then you got to name your son Jesus, Yeshua. The name it really is Joshua before it's transliterated into English. It's the same name as Joshua. And so Joshua, well, who's he? Well, you go back to the Old Testament. He was a warrior in the, in the Old Testament who, who took over after Moses. And, and the people had been wandering for 40 years in the wilderness. But Joshua's the one that leads God's people into their place of promise. And Joseph now understood that the angel commanded him to give his son this, this, the name of this long-awaited, this warrior king. And the, and the angel said, he will save his people from his sins. Oh, Joshua. I know Joshua. Joshua was the warrior. He, he took down Jericho and led the people into, into their place of promise. So you got to understand that Joseph and so many other people are thinking, wow, if I'm naming the Messiah, Joshua, warrior king. You know, guess what's going to happen? He's going to be born, take out a sword. Jericho's going to fall again. The Roman Empire is going down, and we are going into a place of promise. Woo! I just woke somebody up that was sleeping, maybe. And Joseph had hoped that, hey, they're going to, like like everyone else, he's going to save us from the Roman oppression. But the angel said something very different. The angel said, he's going to save you, yes, from your sins. What? It's not what Joseph expected. It's not the image of the Messiah that people had built in their imaginations. They were looking for someone to save them from their sins. In their mind, they didn't need to be saved from their sins. They had the law of Moses. 
They had the Old Testament plan that said, hey, we are already saved. We've gone through the rituals. We've shed the blood. We've offered the animal. They believed that that system allowed them to make restitution for their sin. What Joseph and, his, and the people of that day wanted, save us from the Romans. We don't need help with the sins. Save us from the Romans. But if we're honest with ourselves, we're not much different. The idea of being saved from our sins, it doesn't always move us. Who wants to be saved from their sins? Yeah. Most of us don't fall to our knees, feel emotional, or sense something powerful. When we, when we hear that Jesus, that, that God manifests himself to save us from our sins. That's because we don't usually think of Jesus as saving us from our sins. We think of him as forgiving us of our sins. Yeah, he forgave our sins. But there's a subtle yet very important difference between, oh, he saved us from our sins and he forgave our sins. We comprehend, we talked last week really about redemption, about the, the forgiveness portion, but today is the freedom portion. If we're not careful, we can reduce Christmas and, and the cross to just forgiveness. Now, I know you think, well, nobody's... Per forgiveness is a great thing. That's wonderful. Why are we not... Nobody's belittling forgiveness, but I don't want to just get stuck on forgiveness. For many people, that's... A, oh, nobody's perfect. God forgives. Oh, that's a lot of people's entire religious experience. But the message of Christmas is so much bigger than that. It's so much bigger than just God forgave your sins. If you've reduced Christmas to forgiveness, you've missed part of the Christmas message. Jesus didn't come to deliver us from the, to, from the consequences. He didn't just come to deliver us from the consequences of sin. As a matter of fact, how many of you have ever sinned and you still dealt with the consequences of sin? I mean, David... Created me a clean heart, oh God. Renew me a right spirit. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. One of the most beautiful repentance prayers that you will ever read. And God forgave him. But there were still consequences. They still lost their first child. And that family had a lot of mess in it. But Jesus came to deliver us from the power of sin. To, to, to free us from something that had a hold or authority over us. Jesus came in the spirit of, I, could say, I guess you could say the spirit of Joshua, that warrior, to free us from slavery, the slavery of sin. To lead us, as Joshua did, 40 years of wandering and bondage, oh, trying to get to where God has called us to be, and he finally leads them there. That's the same thing. Jesus, he steps on the scene to a people who were in bondage, literally, literally and figured. Even the law is referred to as bondage. And he, he steps on the scene and says, hey, you're not going to stay in that place anymore. I am going to lead you to where you're no longer wandering, to a place where you're free, where you can be what God has called and intended for you to be. 
Over and over in the Gospels, Jesus tells the people, leave your life of sin. He says, thy sins be forgiven. Go and sin no more. How is that even possible? Can we actually say no to sin? See, in that system, it was there wasn't really anything empowering about it. There was just an atonement or redemption, or you would say, hey, okay, uh, uh, here's the animal. It's going to push back everything till next year. See you again next year. We'll do this again next year. But there's really nothing that empowered them to live an overcoming life. But Jesus steps on the scene and says, hey, I'm not here to condemn the law. I'm here to fulfill the law. I'm here to not just forgive what you've done, but to empower you, to make you free as you move forward in this time. That's, that's powerful. And so, can we say no to sin? Well, in John's gospel, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and he says this in John 10, 10. The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. That sounds bigger than forgiveness, doesn't it? John 10, 10. I pointed to it, expected it to be there. John 10, 10. There we go. Yes. There we go. The thief cometh not to steal, to have it more abundantly. That's bigger than forgiveness. That's not just, oh, you messed up and he forgave you. Now move on. And then when you mess up again, you'll come back again. That wasn't his plan. His plan was, I've come so you can have a life and life more abundantly than what you've been living in the law of Moses in, in the, up to this point. I've come so that now you're going to be empowered where you're really going to be free. See, abundant life is a kind of freedom that many people don't experience. In his letter to the Romans, the apostle Paul described it this way. Romans 6, 12, let, us not, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it. In the lust thereof, neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God. How many of you know, every single, just leave that passage up there, every single day you're going to yield yourself to something. I'm my own master. No, you're not. You will yield yourself to something every single day that you live. You're going to yield yourself to God and his will and his plan, or you're going to yield yourself. You're going to yield to the flesh. You're going to yield to the enemy. You're going to yield to this world systems and, and its way of thinking. You're going to yield to something. Every single day that you arise out of that bed, you will yield to something. And Paul says, so yield yourself to God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion on, over you. You're not under the law anymore. You're under grace. So again, he's making the connection of there being bondage in the law that, that that didn't really free you. That really didn't set you free to what God has called you to be. But Jesus steps on the scene and says, I've come. So that you could have life, and life more abundantly. My plan, he's saying, is not just to forgive, not just to atone. But my plan is to completely set free to where you can be all that I've called you to be, and that you don't have to walk in the bond of sin, that you, don't, that you are, have an overcoming power in your life. That is my plan. 
So he didn't just come to forgive, but he came so you're not walking in sin. And that's why if you've never today been baptized in Jesus' name, if you've never repented of those sins, and you've never been baptized and had his name called over you, sins washed away, and then empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, what a great time to celebrate this Christmas season by doing just that. And guess what? There's a reason he wants you to do this. God has a clear and distinct plan for your future. Not only your remaining time on this earth. We think in terms of your future. What are you going to do with your future? We think in terms of like the next several years. But his plan is way more than just the next several years. It's an eternal plan. You see, the first Christmas was the culmination of God's amazing plan that began 2,000 years before the birth of Christ. We talked about it in the first week of this series. God spoke to an old man named Abram who would later become Abraham. God tells him that despite the fact he was old and had no children, his descendants would become a great nation. And God promised that Abraham would be famous, and he is. And all the earth's people would be blessed through him. This probably didn't make sense to Abraham because there weren't really nations at that time. There were tribes, but there weren't nations, and tribes didn't bless other tribes. They stole from and warred against one another. So, Abram, you're going to be a, you're, you're, your nation's going to bless other nations. What's a nation? I'm a tribe, and we've, we're going to war in about 20 minutes. You know, that's kind of the mentality. Abraham, though, he didn't always cooperate with the plan. He lied. He was selfish. He was often impatient. He sometimes treated people poorly. I know that we can't relate to any of that. But it's as if God decided to bless the people of the earth through Abraham, despite Abraham. God used imperfect, unbelieving, misbehaving people all the way as he moved through history to the birth of Christ. In fact, every single person God used had shaky, imperfect faith. That gives me hope. That gives me hope because I don't have to be perfect to serve Jesus Christ. The most famous version of the Christmas story appears in Luke's gospel. Luke was a first century Greek Gentile physician who sometimes traveled with the apostle Paul as Paul planted churches across around the Mediterranean rim. Luke wasn't, he was not an eyewitness to Jesus' earthly ministry. He became a Christ follower later, but he interviewed Jesus' friends, family, followers in order to write an orderly account of Jesus' life. That account didn't begin with the birth of Jesus, though. I like this. Luke is like the detail-oriented guy. I like Luke. Mark is 16 chapters, like get in and get out, give me the high points, that's it. I'm like, wait a second, hold on, where did this all start? We had dinner yesterday, and my wife was playing this game, getting our kids involved. Choose this or this. Would you rather do this or do this? It was this little game. And so my kids would blurt out answers, and my wife wanted to invite me to be a part of it. So she's like, would you rather do this or do this or go to a concert? And I said, well, it depends on who's playing the concert. <laughs> depends on the musical group. She just rolls her eyes. And then the next question comes up, would you rather do this or this? And I said, well, I guess I would need to know what, what, what the, you know. So she stopped. She uninvited me. She had uninvited me to the game. I, I, I had to force my way in to answer the rest of the questions. But for me, I just can't answer. Like, I need, I need some details. Like, I, okay, if you want me to answer this, I, what, I have to have some background. I appreciate Luke, the physician. 
People told me I write like a doctor, but that's all I have in common with doctors, I think. But he's a physician, and, and, and he doesn't begin with the birth of Jesus. He gives us some backstory. It, it doesn't begin with Mary and Joseph. It begins with a Jewish priest named Zacharias. He was one of about 20,000 priests that lived in or around Jerusalem. That's a lot of priests. He thought there was a lot of churches in Liberty. These priests were divided into groups and assigned tasks that kept the temple running. Against all odds, Zechariah was chosen to do the most unique job a priest could do. He was chosen to go into a place called the holiest of holies. The inner sanctuary of the, ta the tabernacle where, where, where the Ark of the Covenant would dwell and and you walk into that place in the Old Testament and the New Testament. They'd walk into this place. And that was the place where literally the spirit, the presence of God would dwell. Every day the priests would sacrifice to God. Morning, afternoon, early evening outside at the altar. They would pray for the nation of Israel. But before the morning sacrifice and after the afternoon or early evening sacrifice. A priest would go behind the thick curtain that separated the holiest of holies from the rest of the tabernacle. And once inside, the priest would light incense. There were so many priests, 20,000 in that area, that it was unlikely that any particular one would ever get selected to go into the holiest of holies. Like, if you got the email or the text message that says, you're on for the holiest of holies this week. I mean, that is the pinnacle of your career. Wow, I'm not just praying or doing a sacrifice, you know. Imagine, Middle East, pouring blood out, burning the carcass. and well, I mean, imagine, yeah. Woo! No, 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 this week, you get to go and light the incense in the holiest of holies, in the presence of God. But it was a bit of a dangerous job. Not anybody could just go in God's presence. In fact, it was custom to tie a rope around the ankle of the priest entering the Holy of Holies. If they died in God's presence, you'd hear the bell stop ringing and pull them out. If God did not accept the sacrifice. So while Zechariah was inside, something amazing happens. Luke 1.11 says in the... There appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. I mean, like, great. My first time I'm coming in here. I'll get to do the big job, the pinnacle of my career, and this angel's going to kill me. The angel said, fear not. Why do angels always say that? Well, think about it. If you're laying in your bed and an angel appears in your room, I think they'd have to tell me, fear not too. Zacharias, fear not, for thy prayer is heard. Thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. Thou shalt have joy and gladness. Many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. And he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. Zacharias and his wife were old. They'd never been able to have children, so he doubted. Boy, doesn't that sound familiar? 
It sounds like where we started this series with a man named Abraham and Sarah. I'm too old. Sometimes God wants to do something in your life, and the first thing you want to tell him is why it's not going to work out because of your situation. Listen, if God wants to do something in your life, stop trying to convince him about the difficulties of your situation. And so he says, hey, God, you're going to have joy and gladness. And, and so, you, it, and, oh, I can't. I don't know about that. Despite the fact that he was in the Holy of Holies while this happened. He's literally in the presence of God. It seemed impossible that his wife would have a baby. Well, we've been talking about this throughout the series. Christmas is another time to remember God always keeps his promises. And here's what happened next, verse 19. The angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God and am sent to speak unto thee to show you these glad tidings. And behold, thou shalt be dumb and not able to speak until that day that these things shall be performed because thou believest not my words which shall be fulfilled in their season. There's some consequences Hey, the, it's not going to change the promise, your unbelief. But because you didn't believe, he's standing in the holiest of holies, in the presence of God. The angel Gabriel is trying to convince him of these things. And so the angel, I wonder sometimes. <laughs> you know, if God, uh, he probably is sitting here talking and saying these things. That finally they're just like, it's not just a punishment. It's just get you to shut up. Shut your mouth. I'm going to, God wants to do this. He has a grand plan in the wonderful scheme of things. And you just keep talking. So guess what? Until your child is born, you're not going to be able to speak. And Gabriel probably returned to God and said, oh, thank you, Lord, for doing that. The man wouldn't stop talking. Zacharias loses his power to talk and his tongue was bound in bondage. It was bound. He didn't say another word until Elizabeth had given birth. Elizabeth, I don't know if she was sad or happy about that. Don't look at your spouse. Stare straight ahead. Luke 159 says, It comes to pass, in the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. They called him Zacharias after his father. It's custom. Hey, wow, okay, this child, woo! Baby is born, Zacharias. Zacharias, the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, I don't know. And his mother answered and said, not so, he's going to be called John. He said unto her, there is none of thy kindred that's called of this name. This is, you're, you're breaking cultural norms here. This is not what we should be doing, I'm sorry. And they made signs to his father how we would have, I mean, imagine this. Well, I just really think that it's important. Imagine this interaction. And he asked for a writing table and wrote saying, his name is John, maybe with a few exclamation points. And they marveled. They're all shocked. Are you serious right now? 
And it's at that moment. His mouth was opened immediately. His tongue was loosed, and he spoke, and he praised God. And fear came all, and all that dwelt round about them, saying these, these things were all over the place. It gets, it, that, that news travels fast. And all they that heard him laid them up in their hearts, saying, What manner of child shall this be? And the, and the, and the hand of the Lord was with him. I mean, imagine that circumstance. You're there. You're just having an argument with a guy that can't speak medically. It can't be explained. He can't really talk. Hey, you got you to stick with it. You, you have a, your lineage doesn't have this. You don't have any kids. that You, you, need, to go with, you need to go with Zacharias. And all of a sudden he goes, his name will be John. Boom. Oh. Sounds come out. He starts worshiping and all of a sudden he can talk. And everybody realizes there is something special about this child. This message is about freedom. Christ died not only to forgive our sins, but to free us from the bondage of sin. John is Christ's cousin. He's the forerunner of Jesus Christ, the one that Malachi prophesies about, who says, prepare you the way of the Lord, make his path straight. He steps on the scene to prepare the way for Jesus Christ. But notice in this story, notice the exact moment that Zacharias's tongue is loosed. It was not until, he did not get it, the, it, was, it was at the prophetic word, he didn't believe. It was not at any point, even after, even when the child's born, it is not loosed. It's the eighth day. They go for circumcision, the formal naming. They say, okay, what's his name? It, he, he, his tongue was not loosed until the very moment that he obeyed God. And all of a sudden, what was in bondage, bound, now is completely free at the moment he aligned in obedience with God. That's the exact same way today. You might be living in bondage and, and just struggling and saying, I've been just stuck in the cycle of sin. I feel bound. I can't break free. But if you will, the moment that you will align in obedience and repent of your sins, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of those sins and allow him to fill you with his spirit. I'm telling you, whatever has been bound, it's set free instantaneously. It's not just a forgiveness of sin. It's not just, okay, you made mistakes, come to me. Yeah, I forgive you. Now go and, and that's it and you join the church. That He had a much bigger plan than just that. Although forgiveness is great and Calvary made that possible. But what he did is it was not just forgiveness. It was freedom. It was so that we can say, hey, Lord, I'm bringing you what is I've been bound and weighed down with. In the moment that I align in obedience, I am now set free. Christmas is a wonderful reminder that God took on flesh to free us from sin. John 3, 16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. But have everlasting life. We, we, we shouldn't. But yet other scriptures say, few there be that find it. So we know that there will be a lot of people who perish. Why is that? John says that we should not perish. No one should ever perish. But it will happen. Why? Because people like Zacharias become aware of God's plan. His grace that brings salvation appears to all humankind. But too many people simply want to 
name their child after themselves. Now get what I'm saying here. I'm not talking about the literal name. I'm talking about the fact that too many people want to do things their own way. And there's pressure from the people around us to do things our own way. There's a group of people that are putting on pressure on, on Zacharias and Elizabeth. Hey, this is, not, this is not normal. This is not culturally acceptable. This is not the way you should be living. You should be doing it the way we think you should be doing it. And too many people, they fold to that pressure. Because society says the way you dress, act, think, worship, things you do, things you say, that's not the norm. But Elizabeth and John on that writing, uh, Zacharias on that writing table, say, uh-uh. We are not here to align with what you think we should be doing. We are here to align with what God tells us we should be doing. And it was only in that moment that his tongue was loosed and once again free. If you really long to have freedom in your life, know that Christ did not just come to forgive you. He came to set you free once and for all. That when he took on flesh and he was born of a virgin and he was born in that manger in Bethlehem, he did it not just to forgive. He did it because he wants to give you a future that extends far beyond what you're going to live here in flesh and blood. But eternal future where he says, and even the rest of this life, that you can say, I can walk every moment of every day free from bondage. It's not just about I make a mistake and bring it back to Jesus. I make a mistake and bring it back to Jesus. I make a mistake and, and thank God that he allows for forgiveness. But the message is so much more than just forgiveness. He wants to give you his spirit to empower you so that you are free. And whom the son sets free is free indeed. I thank God Almighty for freedom. I thank God Almighty that I am not in bondage to anything. That I can say by the blood of Calvary, by the fact that I am filled with his spirit, I'm not just forgiven. Thank you for forgiveness, but it's not limited to that. And so today, the Christmas story once again humbles me as I close this message. I know we're not in Mary's situation. But I think many of us can relate to how Mary felt when she finds out the news. In Luke 1.46, it says, Mary responded, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed and have all generations not called. Some, genera some have even exalted her to a place of worship, which is not her place. And she never claimed for that. She was in the upper room with the rest of the followers. She, Mary, the mother of Jesus herself, received the gift of the Holy Ghost. But was she special? Was she one of a kind? Was she blessed? Absolutely. And she says, wow. All generations are going to call me blessed, for the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. 
So today, as you stand to your feet, that's not typically where you end a Christmas message or maybe a Christmas passage. But I think, it, I think it's a, a very fitting and beautiful way to end because Christmas is a celebration of Christ coming to this earth. A celebration of Him loving us all enough to not just forgive us, but to set us free. To set us free that if you're here today, hear the message. If you're watching online, there's something you're struggling with. There's something that you feel bound to. There's something that you just can't seem to break away from. Part of the reason that Christmas is so beautiful is is we celebrate the fact that he came for you to have freedom. Not Not just to be forgiven. But so that that thing that's trying to weigh you down and lock you up and and, and not let you out, that you can say, "Uh uh-uh, today is the last day. I am free because of what Jesus Christ did for me. And we can stand there like Mary said and say things like, oh, how I praise you, Lord. My spirit rejoices today. Thank you for taking note of this lowly sinner. We can relate to these things, Mary says. We can say generations of my children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren will know that our entire family is blessed because you chose us. And I stand here, and you hear people talk about second generation, and fourth generation, and thirteenth generation, and whatever, but there's there's a heritage that is given. And remember I said in the beginning, you yield to something every single day. And what happens is when you yield to the flesh, when you yield to uh, substances, when you yield to addictions, what often happens is children are born into that scenario. And what is embraced by the parent is often embraced by the child. Because it's a, because it's a, it's, it's, it's a scenario, it's a, it's a culture that they're raised in. But at some point, what God can do is He can step into that scenario, into that culture, and when someone opens their heart to Him, He can not only forgive what they've already done, but He can empower them so that they live in freedom. I could show you my dad's mugshots of when he was a drug addict, an alcoholic, and that he struggled with all those things. And we see people continue to struggle and go into into all these counseling sessions and and, and abuse centers and, and all these things, which that's fine. I mean, go and try and retrain yourself in the way you think and change your behaviors. Great. But my dad had gone to so many of those places and none of them worked for him. He just kept going back. Until he sat in a Bible study and he felt something that changed his life. And he repented of his sins and he went down in the waters of baptism in 1986. And he was filled with the Holy Spirit of God with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. And then you fast forward and you see that that now his parents, before they died, were baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost. And, and then his children, I was baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost in 1987. And now here we are raising our children. And I'm blessed to be serving you as your pastor. But that doesn't happen 
and my children are going to be, I mean, realistically, what happens is if my dad doesn't come to Christ, then I'm probably dabbling in alcohol and drugs and, and I'm probably experiencing some of the same things in the culture in which I would have been raised. But God, but God, but God steps in and all of a sudden something breaks. The bondage that had been there for decades, decades, something breaks. And all of a sudden, a new culture and a new scenario is established that I'm now raising my children in. And it shifted in 1987. Something changed, and it didn't just change for my dad, but it changed for him, for our family, and probably for 450 other people who have been baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost as a result of my dad and mom teaching Bible studies through the years since 1987. So you got to understand that, that this whole message, it's not just about one person. Yes, it's about you and it's your story and it's a personal story as we've talked about. But it's something that changes scenarios and cultures for families and families and families and families and, families and situations. And, and, it's, and it's like today where we reach this moment that if you're living in a, in, in a time where you're struggling, you feel bound and you just can't break free, hear this message. He didn't just come to forgive you. He came to set you free. He came to rewrite the future of not only your life, but your entire families, grandchildren, great-grandchildren that you have not even met yet are going to be raised in a culture, in a society, in a scenario that will change based on this breaking in your life. But in order to break it, you have to be willing to approach an altar, to bow a knee, to know that you are vulnerable, that you cannot do it on your own, and that you have got to have a Savior. You have got to have Jesus step in and say, God, I have tried to be a better person. I've tried to do this. I've tried to do that. And I I still feel bound. But right now, Jesus, I have got to have your strength. Right now, Jesus, I want to be free. I don't want to carry this anymore. And if you are willing to do that today, I am telling you that Christmas is that very message. He came to set you free once and for all. I invite every one of you to come and find a place at this altar before you leave. Don't just walk out of here. Come on. Come on, let him make you free. Don't just, don't just say, I, I don't know if that's... No, give him a shot at least. Put him to the test. Watch what he can do in your life. Who needs Christmas? I do. You do. 